So back in 2008, uh, the government spent about $10 billion. And so far, this government has spent about $500 billion. Completely dwarfs what was happening in 2008. So can you imagine the magnitude of this boom? This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we continue our discussion with property investor and retired actuary Liana Pang with an impressive portfolio of over 26 properties. She reveals the secrets of her own investment strategies, what her greatest motivations were as a young investor as well as sharing valuable insights into the current property market and much, much more. Pan and I discussed the struggles she faced when trying out renovation strategies and why certain strategies work better for her. I must have grown so much like so many sleepless nights in, in that period of time. So at the end of the day, the biggest lesson I learned each time is when I make money it was always because I got the property at the right time, right right location, right time. And, um, and when I lose money, it was not doing that research properly. So, you know, I've done all these strategies and in, in, in some cases I make money, in some cases I haven't made uh, money. So those were probably... I would say the interesting, interesting years. Uh, but I always look back on those years and say, "Well, I'm, I'm glad that I've done this. You know, I know what it's like to uh, to do all these different strategies. So I can say." Uh, what strategy works for me? Like someone who's a busy professional, um, who who's got um, who's got a lot going on in their life, it doesn't really have the time to actually to spend that much time doing um, active active um, strat- property strategy, so to speak. So, what would it be like for uh, people in that in that situation uh, to build a, a portfolio of properties that can give them the passive income, the financial freedom they want? So, this is. The strategy I come back to is to do your research upfront and find just find the property that is right location, right time, um, to make sure that you maximize your chance of getting properties that will beat the average growth over time, um, and build a portfolio from there. And there's a lot of signs, numbers, and signs behind it as well. You can basically uh, build a portfolio and actually pay off all of your debt. So say you buy two properties, you can pay off uh, if that those two properties grow at above average rate and then after 10 years or so, you can actually sell one property and use that to pay off the debt against the other property com- completely. So the strategy is simply, you know, buy twice as many properties as you need roughly and then sell half of them off at the point where you you were ready to consolidate and have the other half completely paid off and paying you a passive income yep yep and that's that's a great strategy and it's a simple strategy i mean anyone can follow it it's just a matter of time yeah it's it's really interesting when you said that as well I'm, I'm also curious about a little bit more about the renovation the property development type of things what kind of say renovations did you do and did you actually manage the trades or did you actually go in and do the renovations too so you with the renovation strategy it's it's about you know um buying a property in a location i worked at locations the chose locations where you can get there is a big gap between unrenovated and renovated properties but 
as I said, even if you tick all your boxes, do everything right, if you picked it, the margin on renovations is typically 5 to 10%. Mm, very slim. Um, yeah, it's slim. And what if the property market slides by 5% um, over a 6, 12-month period where you're doing this project? Well, then you lost all of your profit. We move on to discuss Liana's most memorable aha moments where everything seemed to click into place for her. Yeah, there's a lot of aha moments in my journey. <laughs> um, I think one of the, the biggest aha moments is, is it leads on from what I uh, talked about before is that research hugely important. Understanding the data and using it. Actually, the property market is predictable. To a large extent, it's actually predictable. Um, and understanding that is so incredibly important. So there are certain rules, uh, certain rules that I've figured out over the years. Uh, for example, you know, you've got the long-term gross rate for Australian property is incredibly stable. Uh, it's about 6.8 to 7% over time, whether you look at 25 years, 30 years, 50 years. Even I went back 100 years, the 100-year average gross rate for Australian property is seven, about 7%. Incredibly stable. Um, and also, uh, the, the property cycles, they're not in a straight line. Otherwise, it would be so predictable. You know, right? um, but uh, it, it actually, uh, sometime, uh, you know, in, within a property cycle, the the gross rate will be either above the trend line or below the trend line. And the idea is finding points below the trend line, but when the trend line is it's below the trend line, but it's about to accelerate its growth rate to get above the trend line. So you could call it uh, there's a 70-30 rule, for example. So a property cycle will spend 70% of its time in stagnation, which you can call above, uh, actually, you know, sort of from going above the trend line to below the trend line, period of stagnation, and uh, about 30% of its time in acceleration. So you want to actually get to that point in time um, to, to take advantage of the uplift, that 30%. Timing the market is one part of it. And then there are lots of cycles within uh, within Australia. So there's like it's it's not one property cycle. There's so many property cycles. Every city has its own property cycle, um, and so you can always find uh, properties that are in the right uh, right point in cycle to take advantage of the growth. So like research is big aha moment. Just how important it is. It doesn't matter what strategy I implement. Um, yeah, so that's a huge one. And the other one is um, just the strategy that we talked about. Uh, so how do you get properties to pay themselves off? Um, and, and that is a huge aha moment for me um, as well. And you actually don't need to put in more of your savings. I'm not like you don't actually have to live on baked beans for 10 years to get to your financial freedom. You can't doesn't really need to affect your lifestyle. Yeah. Well, this is really good that you pointed out those because it really leads into more about talking about, I guess, the strategies and so forth that you've done. And I really like it that you've hit on the point that you don't need to live on baked beans to you know, build a portfolio. Maybe in, in your situation, what were you able to do? Because as you said, 2008 was a great time to buy property. Did you did you buy lots of property around that time or did you actually just wait a bit of time to do that? Because you know, it would be interesting to know how did you actually 
accelerate rate growth over the last you know ten years to between two thousand eight and two thousand nine, um, as I as I predicted, there was going to be a property boom and a property boom did come. So my first property that I bought for four hundred grand grew by a hundred thousand dollars in twelve months. So that gave me a、uh, hundred grand of capital growth or equity. I was able to. So the strategy is you don't want to put all、uh, your savings continuously over the. Uh, a ten-year, whatever time period that you need to to、uh, accumulate your portfolio, you're using the equity in your property to actually get your next properties. So after about twelve months, because that's all the savings I got, I had about fifty grand. So got me started with my first property, but didn't have any more after that. So、um, that that capital growth, a big chunk of capital growth from that first property, allowed me to get into two more properties the following year, and those property again. T- Same same scenario, right location, right time,、um, ticks all the boxes in terms of above average capital growth potential, and they were all positive cash flow as well. This is again a very a very very important thing. From day one, I bought properties that were cash flow positive, so they all、um, they were all brand new properties, so which meant that they、uh, will maximize your depreciation benefits, your tax return, tax refunds. Very important for someone like myself, for example,、um, and and also they have very good rental yields to start with. So they were positive cash flow,、uh, often before tax refunds. The tax refunds just add to that.、Um, so that's very important because it's 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 good for borrowing capacity later on as well. So the banks can continue to lend your money if your property is doing really well in terms of cash flow. It's paying you to own it, even. If Paying ninety percent or hundred percent interest, you know. So that that was one of the key rules that I、uh, that I stuck to,、um, and using that additional funds, like the additional cash flow on that property, not using that to fund your lifestyle, but putting that back into the property to help you pay down that property, or putting that towards another、uh, deposit for another property. So you are able to pretty much leapfrog from one property to another without having to inject your own cash, you know, and that way you can keep that cash to, I guess, live and you know have have the lifestyle that you want as well until your portfolio generates additional passive income as well. You don't need to inject a, a more of your cash after maybe the first two or three properties. The properties themselves should you be should be able to pull out the equity from the properties themselves to keep going. I did both anyway, like being Asian, just the same. All the money to into property, so I did both. <laughs> Thriving on accelerated growth, at what point did Pan decide to quit her nine-to-five job and invest all of her time into property?、Um, that was about six years into over five five to six years、uh, into my investment journey. So 2013,、um, I realized that I was making a lot more. I was actually getting more passive income from my、uh, property portfolio than I was from my day job. And at that point, I just realized, oh, you know what? I could do.、Um, I could spend my time better. I could just do this full time、um, because you know I can. I can look at so many more opportunities. My big dream, like as a data scientist, your big dreams is always being able to、uh, do a lot of、uh, data analytics. And 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 by that point, I have truly and really got the property bug. And Really want to know everything, like the depth of property and how you can、uh, make this so predictable and make very accurate predictions. It's always always about that.、Um, so my big dream was to one day be able to、uh, to like be able to fund 
the purchase of a lot of data and, and built you know, a, a research team around me to just to do this full time, uh, which is I'm glad to say that we are able to bring that to, to fruition. So, you know, that model just keeps getting refined and refined, but you do need, it's quite expensive to actually uh, to, to actually purchase and, and, and maintain a lot of data and to, to be able to do analytics on them. Yeah, and that's the thing. Data is so key. It's like gold, you know, in, in our day and age at the moment. I mean, when we look at Google, Facebook, the amount of data that they sell for advertisers is worth a lot of money. It's the same thing as property. You're able to get that data, mine it, and then, you know, find the best value out of it. So, I guess the question maybe pops in my head is why do we not use, say, for example, technology and AI to, you know, use your models, apply your models and then give us, you know, spit out, I guess, properties or answers to what we're doing rather than human interaction. Is it getting to that point that we would do that in the future or is it, you know, going to be still human? Um, so, if you if you think about a lot of pricing algorithms these days in, um, in the insurance context or um, in data analytics context does, uh, does include AI already. So uh, it's just, you know, a simple example will be a feedback loop or automatic feedback loop. So we're getting, getting the algorithms to pick up patterns in the data, live data and feed it back and so refine the model um, in, in real time. So, um, so that, that, that's been happening uh, since about six or seven years ago now. So a lot of insurance companies already have that. Um, so what I would say is that even in the insurance context, that's, that's that's why actually do still exist today. You can never leave data to just do its own thing. It's like a black box. You put stuff into the black box, it comes out. You have no idea what it means. Um, and so you always have to apply a judgment layer uh, to to that. So simple examples like um, data can help you identify. So we have like a ninety four point checklist checkpoints that we go through when we uh, when we uh, identify a suburb as as a, a suburb with the potential for above average capital growth for example so but that process that process once that suburb comes out we give them a score uh, the suburbs with high scores we actually look into it you always need to have on the ground knowledge you need to know like see and feel it feel it there's a, there's a part of it that part you can't remove you can't be completely rely on data. So if you look at some uh, of the companies out there that are that only produce data, like results, uh, predictions based on only looking at the data, and you can often see that um, you can often see that they they leave a lot. For example, um, if an area is going through a massive uh, like massive change, like massive population growth. Um, and one of the things you'll see is that new new developments or estates will come through, and you might be uh, forgiven and think what well, the, the median data, the median price point might look like. It's come up a lot, but what it is happening is a lot of the new sales are actually new properties, whereas uh, you know sales a few had to happen a few years ago are the the older properties. So it's not comparing apples to apples. And that also skews as well the property prices too in that particular suburb. Thinking, wow, that, that area has gone through massive growth. But if you look into it, you might flag that area. Um, and, and if you look into it, you realize, wow, actually the mix of properties that get sold over time are actually different. So just to give you a simple example. So the, there's... 
there's a, a lot of data cleaning you can do, but this this type of data, like this, it's very hard to clean up that. Coming up after the break, Pan shares exciting predictions for the property market. I'll go so far as saying that the boom is happening, like it's starting to now. We discuss the positive impacts of setting goals. Um, it's a goal, it's a number that we set and we thought that uh, it's like a big, big, uh, big goal. <laughs> At the time we set it, we didn't think we are going to, you know, we think, oh my God, that's such a huge number. Pan lets us in on advice she should have followed in hindsight. I talk to investors all the time and I've never met an investor that told me I wish I started later. In- and that's right after a break. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Being equipped with so much knowledge around data is incredibly progressive for Pan. I ask her what the data is suggesting about the market around this time with the current pandemic still in play. I'll go so far as saying that the boom is happening, like it's starting to now. So all of the factors that drove the past uh, past boom, so one of one part of our uh, which which is like our uh, prediction methodology, which I call four pillars of prediction. One of the pillars is, in fact, studying uh, studying uh, external events that have profound impact on the market. So things like economic shocks or a pandemic is a perfect example of that. And studying how that affects market. So certain factors that have happened in the past. Um, whether it's happening again, because if it's happening again, the same thing will happen again. So um, and and that is exactly what's happening. So. 2008 during the GFC, what happened after the GFC is the government injected a lot of stimulus um, into the economy and there was a lot of direct stimulus for the housing industry. So for example, they doubled the first home buyers grant, they increased grants to encourage people to buy brand new properties, therefore stimulating the construction industry. They fast track a lot of infrastructure projects. Doesn't that sound familiar to you? In the last few months, right? Um, and uh, we just uh, got the budget uh, two days ago, which is very, very exciting because they've in- introduced more tax cuts. They've introduced um, an in, uh, initiative to create more jobs, um, and all of and, and they fast forward a whole bunch of infrastructure projects um, as well. And what is different this time is the scale of the stimulus. So back in two thousand eight, uh, the government spent about ten billion dollars. And so far, this government has spent about $500 billion. Completely dwarfs what was happening in 2008. So can you imagine the magnitude of this boom? So if anything, I think the same thing's gonna happen. It's just the scale for this time around is going to be, I would say, bigger than last time, the last year. It sounds like they're trying to move it quickly because there's still a lot of fear around the coronavirus, you know, pandemic that's still happening around. People still trapped inside, well, not trapped, but you know, staying at home. So I guess there's more and more people wanting to, I guess you know, get their own property, you know, live in somewhere that that's stable. Yeah, absolutely. There's always a um, a fear for um, at times like these people often lose faith in assets that are liquid just because it can change so much. Like from the beginning of this year till the onset of the the, uh, the pandemic, for example, property market lost 30 to 40% in, in a period of two or three weeks. 
And uh, the same thing happened during the GFC. Um, the, the, during the GFC, the Australian share market fell by 55%. And yet uh, around the same time, uh, the property market fell across Australia only by 5%. So it's so much more stable and resilient against any economic shocks. So whenever economic shock happens, people lose face in the share market and take their money out. They want to invest it in safer assets. Um, and so, like, you know, if, if you are looking at superannuation, for example, it's, it's, it's quite an interesting area. People always transition uh, from shares to, to brick and mortar at times of crisis like this. Um, and, you, you know, you can't, you can't blame them for, for doing that because imagine you're trying to retire in 2008 and suddenly half of your retirement fund was gone. It'd be a scary thing. <laughs> So that's why the, the people flock to or moved into secure assets such as physical assets like property, which is very, very common. And then you also got interest rate, it's which is down to the lowest it's ever been historically. So it's never been cheaper to borrow money. And you also got like governments just uh, relaxing the lending policies again and again. And they actually just put out an announcement on my birthday. On the 24th, 24th of September, they announced that they're going to uh, simplify a whole set of rules um, to make lending easier with the implications that borrowing capacity for everybody will increase um, and the whole finance process will be a lot more, uh, a, a lot faster. Um, and so that would just encourage even more people to because they can't afford to buy more now. They can encourage more people into the property market. And then you've got the first home, uh, uh, home builder grant. Um, and you've also got so many other incentives for first home buyers coming in. So, like, it's it's the for first home buyer right now. It's never been a better time because they they get they get something. We did the math across all cities and states just to see how much the level of incentives they can get from each of the federal government, state government, um, and, and so forth. And it adds up to about um, eighty to a hundred thousand dollars of incentives that they can get to buy their first property, right? So imagine how much, how hard is it to save that much money for a first-home buyer? So all of a sudden, like before you might have this many people that can afford to buy their first property, all of a sudden the floodgate opens. Um, so that's already happening in the past couple of months. Pan and I move on from discussing the market to discussing her current motivations. Having achieved financial freedom and having seen her parents retire comfortably, she has done what she initially set out to do. So, what now? What is her why moving forward? My why, there's, there's a couple of reasons. One, I am a nerd, so I do love data and the data actually that I'm working with now, the, the building the research team and just getting deeper deeper understanding of um, how to build, you know, perfect this model, that actually has real applications in life. Um, so it's, that's, that's, that in itself is, is an extremely rewarding experience, seeing there's nothing satisfying as seeing your predictions coming true time and time again and really helped your, uh, not just, me personally financially but now members of the freedom community as well now i guess that brings us to the second part of it is is that um we want to help as many people as we can to achieve the same outcomes that we have been able to achieve of myself 
my business partner, uh, Scott Crew, and um, all the members of the Freedom Community, and also our Freedom Team. Like our Freedom Team is over 70 people strong today. Um, all of these people are actually interested in, in building their own portfolio for following this the same strategy. So you kind of feel responsible that that's why you work extra extra hard because you wanna uh, you're putting your your um, your family and friends and then team our team members uh, livelihood or like you know savings into these, these properties. You want to make sure that you do uh, the absolute best you can to make sure you pick the right properties. So that's been driving us, and our mission is actually uh, with Freedom is to help. 10,000 families or individuals to achieve their own financial freedom um, in the next five to 10 years. So that's been our big mission. I mean, I've, I've done, uh, after I quit my actuarial job, I did actually go uh, traveling and go overseas and did the whole, you know, um, uh, lifestyle of doing nothing, basically doing nothing. Um, and it got boring pretty quickly. That's what I hear a lot. <laughs> it's like people when they say they've achieved financial freedom, it, it's it's more than life, you know, and they, they find something that's going to be purposeful and, and that's what it sounds like you found your purpose now is to help others and achieve that. How far off are you from uh, achieving the, the goal that you've set or the vision that you and your company have set? Yeah, we've got uh, about 2,000 members now in our community, which is growing and, and it's growing uh, really fast, even um, during the midst of uh, COVID. And I think a lot of people are waking up, they understand that they have to take what the media is saying with a big grain of salt. And um, this is uh, waking up to the fact that this is now a great opportunity window. Um, so that's why we're getting record numbers of members uh, joining us, which is, uh, you know, uh, amazing because the bigger our community, the, the the bigger and stronger our negotiation power is. Um, so yeah, so we're about two thousand members strong, and uh, we'd be we're absolutely confident that we can grow this membership to about ten thousand and helping them um, achieve. Like we like to be able to have that member going through the whole investment journey with a with us, and to the point where they have achieved their financial freedom. Um, you know that 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 will be. That whole journey will be incredibly gratifying for us. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, especially when you, you join a community like yours and implement in action and get results, you know, it's a no-brainer. You know, to be able to be part of something like that, and especially you surround yourself with the right mindset, because that's the hardest thing: is finding the right community to be part of and learning from them, and and have great mentors like yourself as well too to be able to support and coach them through that process. Yeah, I've definitely benefited from mentoring and coaching um, in, in, in my time and also I continue to have to look to mentors and coaches as well uh, and just that's incredibly um, important because they help you, um, they help, the biggest the biggest help they, uh, they give is mindset is actually just a, uh, just making sure, like, for example, when you are in a state of fear, you can't make good decisions and they can pull you out of that and they can point it, point it out to you. So mindset is actually incredibly important. Um, and that's actually uh, what I spend, like I say, every, everybody should spend most of their time working on their mindset. And it's a, con, it's a, never, end, it's a never ending journey. While on the subject, Pan shares the biggest motivators and inspirations who have helped her succeed in her personal journey. One of uh, my biggest mentors uh, that I've uh, you know been listening to and following for many many years now is Tony Robbins. 
Um, so uh, and being, you know, probably probably looked at his um, first looked at his material back in 2007, 2008, as well as just when I was starting this journey. Um, and that whole personal development space has just, just been a journey that I've embarked on uh, more and more. So I've been through all of his programs, read all of his books, um, and it's been incredibly helpful. Because you can put in 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 terms a lot of like just the language around and making yourself incredibly aware of some of the things that you're doing to yourself that you may not be consciously aware of. You know, they're driven by fear. They're not driven by um, any sort of any any anything logical. And also, just the um, one of the things a habit that I got into uh, doing is uh, setting yourself a goal. So um, once, at least once a year, you set yourself like a, a vision board um, and with goals for different aspects of your life um, and visualize that as much as you possibly, like re- on a regular basis. So that was something that I really stuck on doing um, and, and I wouldn't have picked it up if I didn't come across mentors like, like Tony. Um, so, so and, and it's, it's amazing what you do when, what you focus on the universe managed to bring it to you. So, you know, the more you focus on, on one thing, um, and this is a goal that I set for myself, it was completely non-negotiable. It was just no, like I, uh, the goal that I set for myself when I was 20 was that I wanted to retire from my career by the age of 30, having, having uh, managed to find a way to build a passive income for myself and my family. And I achieved that. Um, because I really focused on it for, um, and I was telling everybody about it. And I was, <laughs> it was very, very funny because I was talking to, um, uh, talking to someone, uh, one of my old colleagues and, and, and he just said, Liana, do you remember that you were telling us about it, telling me about it? Uh, at that point in time, I could just imagine some people would just say, well, good luck to you. But by, um, speaking it out loud, it's like you're committing, you, you're holding yourself accountable. Knowing everything that she does now, what would Pan say to her younger self if she could go back to 10 years ago? If I met myself 10 years ago, I uh, would have would have probably just said, you know, take action, take more action, uh, you know, don't procrastinate. And uh, I have, like, it's a very interesting thing. I talk to investors all the time and uh, I w- I'll say the same thing to myself, start earlier if I could. <laughs> start investing earlier uh, if I could. And uh, I talk to investors all the time and I've never met an investor that told me I wish I started later. In- Everyone said, I wish I started earlier. I wish I didn't sell that property. I wish I hold on to it, whatever, whatever that may be. Uh, or I wish I had mentor earlier in my life. You know, it's, it's, it's all. So if I was to go back uh, 10 years ago to myself, I would have said, said those things hindsight we always reflect back and go you know wish we could change that because you don't know what you don't know until you reach the point and destination uh i guess i'm looking now forward for five years what are you most excited about in your journey and i think you've kind of covered it but i I thought i'd still ask that question as well unless it's any different to what you've talked about that mission which is the freedom mission so myself my business partner and our entire um, freedom team is is to help you know we have amazing incredibly amazing um uh, property coaches and strategists in our team 
um, today that have achieved you know incredible results for themselves, um, but also huge on um, helping others uh, do the same. So our mission, our team mission, is actually to be able to bring that to fruition. You know, if we can help ten thousand people or more, um, you know. Be on that journey to achieve their financial freedom, and seeing that happen, you know, transformation, and you know, just asking them to pay that forward as well.、Uh, imagine what a difference it could make. So that that's been our biggest, huge goal, and I will be, I'll be、um, incredibly happy. We're、well, already very happy being on this journey. How did you come up with the number ten thousand? By the way,、uh, it's a goal. It's a number that we set, and we thought that、uh, it's like a big. Big,、uh, big goal. <laughs> at the time, yeah, audacious goal. At the time we set it, we didn't think we we're gonna, you know, we think, oh my god, that's such a huge number.、Um, but, but you know, without having set those huge goals、uh, for your for yourself,、um, things don't happen. And and it's it's amazing when you do that. Like、uh, you know, a lot of things, a lot of opportunities you're not seeing before.、Um, you're opening your eyes to it. So, how much of Pan's success is due to skill, intelligence, and hard work, and how much of it is based on luck? I think I really like this saying. Actually, this comes from、uh, Tony. Is that just the more you focus on something,、um, the more you work at it, and the harder you work, the luckier you get. <laughs> and that goes back to the same thing. You know, the the, the more you honing on something,、um, the the more your eyes will be open to things that you just you would just your mind would have just overlooked before. And perfect example is like if you go out and buy a car, and from the very next day you suddenly notice that a lot of people are driving the same car. You notice every car that is your car, right? But if you haven't, if you are not aware. Of it in the first place, then you wouldn't be looking for it. Thank you to Liana Pang, our guest on this episode of Property Invest Story. If you want to hear more about her journey and get a copy of the episode guide on the website, head over to propertyinvestory.com/guide. This guide will give you the inside scoop on little gold nuggets of wisdom all our guests share from their backstory and all the overall strategies and philosophies. Plus, you'll get a copy of the advice broken down and shared in a quick and easy-to-consume format. Just head over to propertyinvestory.com/guide and download it today. <music> 